Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host on truly a day of light, a radiant day. This is the resurrection day. Let us be enlightened by this feast and let us embrace one another. Let us call brethren, even those who hate us, and in the resurrection forgive everything and let us sing. Christ is risen from the dead. By death he conquered death, and to those in the graves he granted life. These are the words from the prayers that we say in the Byzantine Church on this day of our Lord's resurrection, this glorious day. And we say this also, O women, be the heralds of good news and tell what you saw. Tell of the vision and say to Zion, accept the good news of joy from us, the news that Christ has risen. Exalt and celebrate and rejoice, O Jerusalem, seeing Christ coming from the tomb like a bridegroom. In this spirit of the resurrection, as we just heard from the prayers today, this spirit of embracing one another, I'd like to embrace some of you who have written to us lately and given us some beautiful messages on this beautiful day of the resurrection. Recently, we heard from Julia Scott out of Seattle, Washington. Julia Scott, and she says, Your weekend radio program has been, for me, enlightening and inspiring. I am a Roman Catholic. Thank you. And thank you, Julia. Julia Scott from Seattle, Washington. Christ is risen to you. Indeed, he is risen. And also Teresa Hutton from Boise, Idaho. Thank you for writing to us, Teresa Hutton. And also a wonderful note from Marianne Niebauer. Marianne writes this. Father Thomas Loya, I enjoy listening to your program, Light of the East, every Sunday. And I learn so much about the other lung of the church. Thank you so much. You are intellectual articulate, and you explain everything with great clarity. God bless you for your work. Sincerely, Mary Ann Niebauer. And she put her age after her note here, but I'll just keep that between us, Mary Ann. How about that? But thank you anyway for your very humbling compliments to me, but that's okay. Today on this day of resurrection, we all embrace and kiss one another, and we see all kinds of great and wonderful things because we're happy. But a happiness that goes beyond just an emotional happiness. This is a happiness that is truly a splendor, a joyful splendor, a bright, bright happiness. In fact, this week, we call this week in the Byzantine Church the Bright Week. Last week, it was Week of the Bridegroom. Now it is Bright Week. And we're thrilled to be able to celebrate this resurrection of our Lord together with our Orthodox brethren. We have the same calendars this year. Pascha falls on the same time for both the Catholic and Orthodox churches, and that's a wonderful thing. And as we celebrate the resurrection, we always do so in light of what just passed, 
that is, of course, death, death and resurrection, that mystery of the cross and resurrection. In fact, in the cross is already the hinting of the resurrection. That's why all we say in the Eastern churches, we bowed your cross and we praise your holy resurrection. We always say these two things in the same breath. It's a very, very both and kind of spirituality. And so, as we look at both death and resurrection, we'd like to do so in a couple of particular cases, and for which we will ask your prayers. First of all, we ask your prayers for some very, very special friends of ours, Father Roman Galadza, who is the brother of Father Peter Galadza. Father Peter is a great friend of ours here at Lay of the East. He, of course, is at the Sheptitsky Institute in Ottawa, Canada. But his brother has a parish, St. Elias Parish, in Brampton, Ontario, also, of course, in Canada. His name is Father Roman Galadza. And he has a very, very special parish there, a very, very special church, beautiful church, known for its beauty and its faithfulness to the authentic Eastern liturgical spirituality. It's a church made all of wood with beautiful iconography, magnificent liturgy, just everything good about it. But sad to say, they experienced the cross, they experienced it, and hopefully they will know a resurrection because a few days ago, their church burned to the ground. This gem of a Byzantine church burned to the ground. Saddest, saddest thing to ever see. These just pieces of wood left, charred from a once beautiful, beautiful church. So our prayers go out to that community there as they truly have to look towards a resurrection. They truly have to rise up out of the ashes, literally, of their once beautiful and very, very special church. So our prayers go out to Father Roman Galadza and the community of St. Elias Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church in Brampton, Ontario. And also another death and resurrection remembrance here today on Lay of the East for our Orthodox brethren, in fact, the Syrian Orthodox Church. Recently, their patriarch died. His name is His Holiness Ignatius Zaka I Iwas. He was the 122nd successor of St. Peter in the Apostolic See of Antioch. Again, this is a Syrian Orthodox Church. So our prayers, eternal memory, Christ is risen, goes out to the memory of His Holiness Ignatius Zaka I Iwas, the 122nd successor of St. Peter in the Apostolic See of Antioch. But soon after the passing of this patriarch, the Syrian Orthodox Church elected a new patriarch. And our prayers go out to this new patriarch in the Syrian Orthodox community. And there we have, once again, the experience of the death and the resurrection. In Beirut, on March 31st of this year, the Synod of the Syrian Orthodox Church of Antioch has appointed Mar Cyril Afram Karim as the Patriarch of the Church, being the 123rd Patriarch of the Syrian Orthodox Church. In fact, the new Patriarch, Mar Cyril, is to take charge after this Pascha celebration. The new Patriarch, who be known as Mar Ignatius Afram II, was talking to some news channels in India, and he expressed certain concerns. He was worried about the strife in the Middle East and lamented that Christians were having to move away from these places. And he also said that the challenges that Christians were having to face was a matter of grave concern. And he added that he would like to ensure unity of the Malankara Church, even though the problems involved were grave and needed unity and cooperation from all quarters. He was born in Syria on May 3, 1965, as youngest son of Mr. and Mrs. Isa Karim. So again, our prayers on this Resurrection Day go out to the Syrian Orthodox Church for their new patriarch. 
now known as Mar Ignatius Aprim II. And to know just a little bit about the Syrian Orthodox Church, we'll turn once again to one of those great sources that I often cite here, like the East, the Eastern Christian Churches, a brief survey, the sixth edition, by Father Ronald Roberson. And Father Ronald Roberson says this about the Syrian Orthodox Church and some of its history. It can trace its origin back to the early Christian community in Antioch, which is, of course, mentioned the Acts of the Apostles. The Antiochian Church became one of the great centers of Christianity in the early centuries, but the Council of Chalcedon in 451 provoked a split in the community. Now, that council was over the subject of the proper theological understanding of the natures of Christ, that he was both God and man not just one nature. In other words, this was called the Monophysite heresy. The council's teachings were enforced by the Byzantine imperial authorities in the cities, but they were largely rejected in the countryside. Now, in the 6th century, the bishop of Edessa, Jacob Baradai, ordained many bishops and priests to carry on the faith of those who rejected Chalcedon in the face of imperial opposition. Consequently, this church became known as Jacobite, with its own liturgy called West Syrian or Antiochian, and other traditions using the Syriac language spoken by the common people. Some communities were also established outside the Byzantine Empire in Persia. Conquest of the area by the Persians and later the Arabs ended Byzantine persecution and created conditions favoring further development of the Syrian church. There was a great revival of Syrian Orthodox scholarship in the Middle Ages when the community possessed flourishing schools of theology, philosophy, history, and science. And at its height, The church included 20 metropolitan sees and 103 dioceses, extending as far to the east as Afghanistan. There is also evidence of communities of Syrian Orthodox faithful without bishops as distant as Turkestan and Xinjiang during this period. The Mongol invasion under Tamerlane in the 14th century, during which most Syrian churches and monasteries were destroyed, marked the beginning of a long decline. In fact, terrible losses were suffered again during and after World War I because of persecutions and massacres in eastern Turkey. This led to a widespread dispersion of the community. And even now, the Syrian Orthodox population is shifting. In the 1950s and 1960s, many immigrated from Iraq and Syria to Lebanon. Within Iraq, they have been moving from the northern city of Mosul to Baghdad. The most serious erosion of the community has taken place in southeast Turkey, where only a few Syrian Orthodox remain. Earlier, many Syrian Orthodox also immigrated to Western Europe and Americas for economic and political reasons. So it's a little bit about the Syrian Orthodox Church, who once again receives our prayers and well wishes on the occasion of their new patriarch. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loy, and I would like you to join me on the Oriental Illumined Pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul to celebrate the canonization of Popes John Paul II and John XXIII. In addition to celebrating the sainthood of two world-renowned popes, this trip will be a powerfully moving and truly unforgettable experience of the Church breathing with both lungs east and west. We will visit major religious and historical sites of the ancient Roman and Byzantine empires and 
you will hear from people who actually knew these two saintly popes. I guarantee you will never see the church the same way again, and you will be making your personal contribution toward the cause in which these two popes were committed, unity in the church between East and West. Join Father Loya Tuesday through Thursday, October 21st through October 30th for this spiritual event of a lifetime, the pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul. Limited spaces, reserve early by going to vikingtvl.com. That's vikingtvl.com for all the details. October 21st through the 30th. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Saving Jews from the Holocaust in a wheelchair. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky was born in 1865 in western Ukraine. He was an aristocrat who gave up his wealth to become a monk. He then led the Greco-Catholic Church in Ukraine through two world wars, Exiled to Russia for three years during World War I, Sheptitsky never again enjoyed good health. From 1929 until his death in 1944, he worked from a wheelchair. From that wheelchair, Sheptitsky coordinated efforts to save hundreds of Jews during the Holocaust. Next time, we'll tell you more about the Archbishop, who at the height of the Holocaust wrote, A lack of love is the source of every hardship and misery. Love is the very substance of all of God's revelation. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Law, your host, and again and again I say to you, Christ is risen. And your response back to me would be, indeed he's risen. That's how we greet each other in mainly Eastern churches during this time of year. As you know, if you've been listening to this program for any length of time, we have a number of greetings in the Eastern churches. The most common one, in other words, the, the way we say hello would be, Glory to Jesus Christ, and you would respond back, Glory to Him forever. But now, during this season of the radiant resurrection, we say to each other, starting today, Christ is risen, indeed He is risen. And we will say this up until the time of the ascension of our Lord. And after that, then, of course, is the great feast of Pentecost. Just a little bit about how we celebrate this radiant resurrection of our Lord in the Byzantine Church. We have, as is in the Latin Rite Church, an Easter vigil or Pascha vigil in which, yes, it is still a tradition to have baptisms at that time. The liturgy is what's called the Vespers with Liturgy of St. Basil, named after St. Basil the Great, in which many, many Old Testament readings are read. And the reason many of them are read is, first of all, they all have baptismal themes, themes have to do with water and resurrection and life. And these were read, many of them were read, to buy time for the baptisms to happen, because the baptisms would happen actually in a separate building. It's not so much the case now in the Eastern churches, but it was centuries ago. And the baptisms would then occur in the baptistry, and then they would process into the church for the rest of the liturgy and the ceremony, receiving the Eucharist, and so on. And so they would occupy that time by reading many of the Old Testament readings that have to do with water. And things like the story of the three youths in the furnace that we read about in the book of Daniel. In other words, anything that has to do with somebody being immersed in something but coming out anew, coming out untouched like the youths were in the furnace. They danced in the flames of the furnace and sang praises to God. There was a resurrection theme as a number of other themes as well, but it certainly is a resurrection theme. So we read many of those verses from the Old Testament 
And then as we go through the night, there is what we call a morning prayer or matins, resurrection matins service, which is one of the hallmarks of the Byzantine resurrection celebration. I like to call it one of the rockinest services we have, and boy, it rocks. (laughs) Very, very jubilant. What happens is we begin in the morning, ideally early in the morning. The church becomes the cave, the tomb, in which a shroud bearing the image of Christ has been laid there on Good Friday, Great Friday, has stayed there ever since, and it lays in a structure that is to emulate the tomb of Christ. The priest takes the candle from the altar, the Paschal candle, it begins to light then from that candle, the candle of all the congregation, the faithful who are gathered in the church that is darkened. And we proceed outside and we go in procession around the church. The church is then closed. It becomes the tomb of Christ. As we come to the doors of the church, the priest will exclaim several prayers. And one of them is when he says, glory to the Father, to the Son, the Holy Spirit. He takes the hand cross that he's holding and strikes the doors of the church in the form of that cross. He bangs on the doors as though allowing the tomb to open. And in fact, the doors seem to magically open up and the congregation proceeds inside singing, Christ is risen from the dead. By death he trampled death. And to those within the grace he granted life. And the church is all ablaze with flowers and fragrances and the lights are turned up high. And then the great ceremony begins with the deacons moving up and down the aisles, incensing and shouting, Christ is risen! And the people shouting back, Indeed, he is risen! And then we have many magnificent verses, the Paschal Canon, the Paschal Stichitta, we call it, Paschal Hymns, where we say, Today the sacred Pasch is revealed to us, holy and new Pasch, the mystical Passover, the venerable Passover, the Pasch which is Christ the Redeemer, spotless Pasch, great Pasch, the Pasch of the faithful, the Pasch which is the key to the gates of paradise, the Pasch which sanctifies all the faithful. This is one of my favorites. Pasch so delightful, Pasch of the Lord is the Pasch, most honored Pasch now dawned on us. It is the Pasch, therefore let us joyfully embrace one another. O Passover, save us from sorrow, for today Christ has shone forth from the tomb as from a bridal chamber, and filled the women with joy by saying, Announce the good news to my apostles. And there you see that spousal theme. We also experienced the week earlier in the week of the bridegroom. So it's this great consummation of a mystical marriage between Christ, the new Adam, and his bride, the new bride, the new Eve, which was first symbolized at the cross between Christ and his mother, who now become mystically the new Adam and the new Eve. And now, as we hear in this verse on the resurrection day, Christ emerges from the tomb like a bridegroom from the bridal chamber. He has mystically consummated a marriage between himself and his bride, and the human race is now reconceived again. In other words, what Adam and Eve failed to do, Christ has redone as the new Adam. The human race made anew. And that's why we speak a lot about renewal and newness of life during this time of the resurrection. The resurrection matins then includes also in the Byzantine church the reading of the famous Pascha sermon by St. John Chrysostom. And then there is the kissing of the cross as people process up, kissing the cross, the gospel book, and the icon of the resurrection as the Paschal hymns are sung in jubilation. Now, following the actual liturgy then, which follows the matin service, 
The faithful will experience throughout this week what we call Bright Week. The Bright Week starts with Bright Monday, but actually Bright Monday starts on Sunday evening. The day always starts the evening before. And a, tra- a great, a beautiful tradition is to celebrate what's called the Agape Vespers. In other words, they're the Vespers of Sunday evening, which are lighter in tone because <laughs> I guess in the wisdom of the church fathers, they realize how engaging and intense the last few weeks, especially the last several days, have been liturgically in the church, just round-the-clock services. And so the Sunday evening Vesper service are very beautiful but rather brief. And these are some of the prayers that we sing on that Sunday evening. Come, let us adore God the Word who was born of the Father before all ages and was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. For of his own free will he suffered the cross and submitted himself to burial and arose from the dead to save me, a sinful one. And then we also repeat once again, as we will throughout the Easter, Pascha season, those Paschal hymns. And each hymn is introduced by a verse. The first one, Let God arise, that his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee from before his face. This is a proclamation made by the priest or the cantor. And then we begin the response. Today the sacred Pascha is revealed to us. Holy and new Pascha, the mystical Passover, the venerable Passover, the Pascha which is Christ the Redeemer, spotless Pascha, great Pascha, and Pascha the faithful, the Pascha which is the key to the gates of paradise, the Pascha which sanctifies all the faithful. Also during this week, we're all enjoying, especially in the Byzantine churches of Slavic heritage, we have this marvelous custom of eating and enjoying the traditional Easter basket foods that are blessed on Sunday or at the Easter vigil. And these foods are made up of all the things that we abstain from during Lent, all the fatty, delicious foods, those succulent foods, the special sausages and the hams and the eggs and the butters made in the form of a lamb and lamb itself even. All kinds of foods that are traditional all have meaning, but they all basically say one thing, that we have killed the fatted calf and now it is time to enjoy, just like the story of the prodigal son, for we were lost and now we are found. The prodigal son, who now is Christ, has come back, representing all of us, has come back to life. We were once dead, but now is alive. We were once lost and now have been found. And so we kill the fatted calf. We enjoy the meats and the foods of festivity, of a wedding banquet. And boy, let me tell you, I can have a piece of sausage or a piece of ham anytime, and it's okay. I mean, it's enjoyable. All foods are. But there's something about that food that is blessed on Easter Sunday, on the Sunday of the Pasch. Foods that we have abstained from for all those weeks during Lent. There's something about them that is just so delicious. Let me tell you, it's like it's like food that dropped out of heaven. We celebrate these foods, enjoy them, of course, in the company of family and friends. So it's just a magnificent celebration in every sense of the word. It's just everything that the prayers say it is. This resplendence, this joy. There's, it's like there's not enough words we can find to describe such a celebration. But during this bright week, this particular year, we also have right in the middle of it also the Feast of St. George, which happens on April 23rd. And he was a renowned and glorious martyr, born in Cappadocia, the son of rich and God-fearing parents. His father suffered for Christ, after which his mother moved to Palestine. When George grew up, he went into the army, in which he rose by the age of 20 to the rank of tribune, and as such was in service under the Emperor Diocletian. I remember him. He... He conducted a very terrible persecution of Christians. 
When this emperor began a terrible persecution of Christians, George came before him and boldly confessed that he was a Christian. The emperor threw him into prison and commanded that his feet be put on the stocks and a heavy weight placed on his chest. And George endured many tortures. And after he died, he appeared to many people. as a very, very popular, powerful saint in the Eastern churches. And his icon is very interesting because it shows him on a horse killing a dragon. It's a very dramatic, beautiful icon. And in the background, there's an image of a princess. The idea is that the dragon was killing people in a village one by one. And the next person on his list to devour was the princess. And George came to the aid of the princess and slayed the dragon. Of course, this legend is symbolic of George fighting against evil. So this is a rich week in so many ways. Rich foods, rich prayer, rich stories, rich saints, rich everything. Because, and I say to you, and I greet you, and conclude this program with, Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the radio button. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, ByzantineCatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. <laughs>